Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Which means today we are here on October 10th. I'm recording on the right day this time, guys. Um, so, again, let me know, like, let me know. Do you guys want to have this episode by Saturday, or are you cool with me recording it on Saturdays? It's probably just going to be whatever I have time for that particular week. But if you have a strong preference, I would love to know. So, Radio at gmail is where you can send me those thoughts. Okay. So, today we're talking about The Replacement on Buffy, which was written by Jane Espenson and directed by James Contner, I believe. And here is the description according to Nikki Stafford with her Bite Me episode guide. When Xander is hit with a blast from a Toth demon, he is split in two. One Xander embodies all of his strong points and the other one, his weaknesses. Okay, so basically this is the one with the two Xanders. And the other, this is a fact that most people know, but just in case you don't, the um, the other Xander is played by nicholas brendan's twin brother so he doesn't really have lines like you can really once you know that it's his twin playing the other xander you can really see which one is which because they don't give the any of the acting to his twin brother really he's just there to be there in scenes that they're both in and he plays like the suave xander in the scenes where they're both on screen at the same time um, so this is a really good episode. Bas- basically, any Jane Espenson episode is really good. Um, I, sorry, there's a dog barking in the neighborhood, which probably means I should shut my window, right? Okay, I had to turn the fan on because it's like, it's October 10th and it's like 85 degrees outside. It's so annoying. It's like, I was told that October was supposed to be crisp. Okay. So this is, I mean, I have notes, and of course I have things that I will talk about, but this episode is really just, it's just a good episode. Like, so far, pretty much every episode of season five has been really well structured. It's kind of told you the themes, the major themes of the season that are coming up. It's... It's been really effective, I think. Um, It's just effortlessly good right now, or feels effortlessly good to me. But, um, yeah, okay, so let's look at my notes, I guess. I'm not sure what to say about this episode. It's just kind of a fun, like, Jane Espenson writes, her strong point really is writing, like, whimsy, humor, goofiness. Like, she's great for writing for the nerdy characters, such as, you know, the best aspects of Xander to me are him just being quirky. You know, I don't love Xander as a character in general, but when he's working, it's it's his nerdiness that works, I think. Um, so this is, this is a good one to be like, you know, we don't have very many Xander-centric episodes. But this is a good one. Didn't Jane Espenson... She might have wrote, written all the Xander-centric episodes. Um, I, okay, let me check. I'm gonna look. Okay, no. <laughs> the, the two that, like, 
at least came straight to mind were the Zeppo, which was written by someone else, and Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, which was written by Marty Noxon. So it's not always Jane Espenson that writes the Xander-centric episodes, but this one is a good one. Um, I, I love the idea of, like, anytime you get, like, a double of a person, it's usually, like, the good version and the evil version, and I like that this episode starts with everyone just sort of automatically assuming that there's a good Xander and an evil Xander, and then you find out that actually they're both just Xander. It's just so it's really psychologically interesting like riley don't you just want to lock them up in separate rooms and do experiments on them yes i do i find this to be very um psychologically interesting i have a psychology major i'm also a psych major just like riley maybe that's why i sympathize with him so much not really (laughs) they don't really lean on the you know, any aspect of Riley's personality. They don't really give him a lot. Um, but anyway, this is a good episode for Xander. This is a good episode for Riley. Um, I really like the sort of like friendship scenes between Riley and Xander that you see in this episode. I mean, I think you see them a few other times during the series, but not often. And I really think that that's effective and touching. Like, I just think it's really sweet. Um, I don't know why. I just do. I just, I like the the sort of easy friendship that they seem to have developed. And the fact that like whenever, uh, a reminder that this is not a spoiler free podcast. Okay. And whenever, you know, Riley leaves later in the season, I like that, you know, several times Xander is shown to really be missing Riley. Um, so that I think is probably my favorite thing about this episode, possibly. Um, I also like all of the cheesy physical comedy of Xander just being really, you know, hapless Xander being hapless. It's cute. Um, so the very first scene is, um... Buffy and Riley, Xander and Anya are hanging out in Xander's basement and we hear his parents like throwing things at each other and drunkenly fighting upstairs. Um, We get just like the sort of general uncomfortableness of Xander in his home environment and him realizing like, I really need to get a place. I really need to get a place, but he's insecure because his his construction job is about to end. So he doesn't think he'll have more money coming in. And you know, it's just, this is just a good identity movement character development episode for Xander. That's really what it is. Um, I don't know how I feel about, like, let me know what you guys think if you have a specific opinion on this. The weird comment that Xander was making when it, when they're all, like, trying to watch a movie. They're trying to watch, like, some kung fu Jackie Chan. It looks like a Jackie Chan movie. They're trying to watch, like, a Jackie Chan movie or something. And I don't recognize the movie, so I might be wrong about it being Jackie Chan movie. Um, they're trying to watch a movie, and they say badly dubbed Chinese, one of, or badly dubbed Kung Fu movies, one of China's best imports. And then he says something like, far better than their hot plates. I, I don't know if this was just kind of 
a bad joke or if it was a racist joke. I, I can't tell. So that was just sort of a little thing that like made me go, hmm, was that racist? I don't know. It seemed like it might have been. It was at least like insensitive. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to point that out. What, one thing that kind of bugged me, I mean, it tracks with her character, but it was just something that I noticed. Buffy is just so fucking self-centered. Most of the time, it it makes sense within the context of her being the Slayer and all that kind of shit. But in this episode, it bothered me, especially in this, really in this scene particularly, it bothered me because, you know, they're all hanging out and they're all kind of in their own way, trying to comfort Xander as they notice that he's uncomfortable because they're witnessing, they're overhearing his parents and their crazy fighting and Xander doesn't talk about it. You know, he's, he's doing the like manly trope thing where he thinks like he shouldn't be talking about things like that. So he doesn't. Um, and Riley is, you know, kind of like coughing loudly to sort of cover up some of the fighting sounds. He's, trying to make little jokes to make Xander a little bit more comfortable. And Anya is, she's sitting at his feet where he's on, he and Riley are on the couch and Xander and Buffy are sitting in front of them on the floor. And so Anya is just sort of like rubbing his leg a little bit, just comforting gestures while this shit is happening. And which is an appropriate reaction. Like you can tell that she's used to hearing this. And she knows how he feels about it. And she's comforting him. And Riley's just trying to be, trying to be cool and trying to like lighten the mood a little bit. And Buffy is completely oblivious. I mean, I think we're supposed to think that she's really into her Slayer studies right now. Like she has a textbook in her lap. I don't know what that would have to do with Slayer studies, but maybe it has something to do with actual school because she is actually in school right now. Although we don't really get any more school sets like maybe we'll see willow in a hallway at some point or something i don't know but school's pretty much done like she's about to drop out so but she has a textbook in her lap and she's i think we're just supposed to think that she's really distracted by all of her studies lately she really wants to get to the bottom of who she is and, and i get that but she seems completely oblivious to what's happening with xander and she doesn't with his family and the fact that Xander's uncomfortable, like she's not doing anything that would make you think that she's trying to make him feel better or make him feel comfortable or anything. Like she doesn't even know what's going on. And I don't know if that was a choice they wanted. They just wanted her to look distracted or if Sarah Michelle Geller in general, maybe she's kind of a diva and she didn't like that. The scene really had nothing to do with her. So she just, didn't bother acting in the way that we know that she can. I don't know. It just, it, it, I don't know if I've ever noticed it before this particular rewatch, but it just, that bothered me. It bothered me. Like, wouldn't she give a shit? You never really see Buffy giving a shit about, about her friends, you know? Sometimes she gives a shit about Willow, but you do not see her giving a shit about Xander. Sometimes Xander will pull her aside and, like, have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with her about something that she really needs to hear about herself. But, like, Buffy doesn't ever seem to give a shit about Xander. And I think that's a real, 
that's a huge missed opportunity for the show. Like maybe she keeps herself like at a distance from him because she's afraid that he'll redevelop feelings for her if, if she shows any kind of, but we don't get any indication of that. So I don't know. It's just like you have four main characters, Giles, Willow, Buffy, Xander, and you get a relationship between Giles and Buffy. You get a relationship between Giles and Willow. You get a relationship between Willow and Buffy. You get a, but you don't get really, you just get an antagonistic relationship between Giles and Xander, but sometimes you get something between Giles and Xander a little bit, but with Buffy and Xander, it's just Xander's here to comfort her and show her some aspect of herself that she doesn't want to look at. Like he's there as like a, He's just there as kind of like a, a the occasional therapist, you know? I don't know. It's weird. I've never really actually, like, analyzed whether or not Xander and Buffy have a good relationship on the show, but apparently that's what I'm doing today. We get the introduction of this blacklight crackle demon who glides. That's how I identified him in the notes. And he's, like, forging a weapon in a cauldron, and he's after the Slayer. And I don't think you get... I don't think you ever get any explanation as to like why he's there, what his motivations are, why he's just suddenly here trying to kill the Slayer. That aspect of this episode is not well thought out, really. It's just, okay, he wants to kill the Slayer, of course. Sure, everybody does. Um, then we see Xander going on an apartment hunt. Um, I liked this little moment, again, another like Riley Xander moment where... Um, Willow's, they're all, it's, um, Willow, Anya, Xander, Buffy, and Riley are all going with Xander. I know I just mentioned Xander in that list, but are all going with Xander to help him look for an apartment. So they're going down the hallway to this apartment that he's looking at. And Willow's just, you know, do, doing her little cutesy thing. She's like, oh, wouldn't that be great if you got this apartment? And then when we're walking down this hallway, we'll be like, la, 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 going to Xander's place. And Buffy's like, just so you know, I will not be doing that. And um, Riley's like, I will. Definitely. <laughs> Which is just a cute little moment. I don't know. I'm so charmed by Riley in this episode. I guess Jane Espenson, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for if, if there are other episodes where I'm charmed by Riley, is it because Jane Espenson's writing for him? Because he was just so sweet in this episode. Oh my god, I just loved him in this episode. Um, Tara's just not present at all in this episode, which is totally fine, except when that kind of shit happens, when it like would make sense for a character to be there and they're just like, the actor isn't available or whatever. And she's just not in the script of that particular episode. I just feel like they need to make some kind of mention. Like all they would have to do is have like one throwaway line where Willow's like, Tara's visiting her grandparents this week. Like that's it. You would just need one tiny it wouldn't take up any time at all just if there was one throwaway line as an explanation for why Tara isn't present or mentioned at all in this episode but whatever she's not mentioned um the demon gets 
Oh, just uh, why were Riley and Buffy making out in the bedroom of this apartment? Also, why is this apartment fully furnished? There was a bed. There was like a big sectional couch. Like maybe that's a thing in other places. I live in a small town and I don't know that I've ever even heard of furnished apartments in the town that I live in. Um, I'm sure it's a thing. I'm sure it's a thing, but wouldn't they be like way, way out of Xander's price range? I know, I know we're like supposed to think that this apartment's a little out of his price range, but we're not supposed to think that there's no way in hell he could afford it, which I feel like a place that's fully furnished in Southern California. Anyway, don't pick that shit apart. I can't help it, but I really shouldn't. Um, okay. The... Blacklight Crackle Demon who glides <laughs> shows up at the magic box while Giles is like unloading boxes or something. So he's definitely bought the magic box. I think they were just talking about him wanting to do it before. So he's definitely done it at this point. And so he ends up like defending himself with the demon by hitting him with a fertility goddess. Um, but the demon guy just says, you are not the slayer. You do not concern me. Um, later, Giles is not knocked out in the scene, which he makes as a distinction whenever everybody else shows up at the magic box. Um, he's like, well... And then Buffy's like, so the demon ran away? And Giles is like, more like turned and swept out majestically. Which it really was. Like, you saw him just like float out of the magic shop whenever he was leaving. It was pretty cool. Um, and then, okay, I think this is going to be the quote of the episode. Um, Xander says to Giles, so you bought the magic shop and you were attacked before it opened. <laughs> Cause it's been a, it's been a trope that all the like magic shop proprietors get killed. Um, so that was funny. Um, next scene, they're going to the dump to look for this demon for some reason because he smelled bad. I guess it was because I didn't really put it together till just this very second, but I, but Giles was talking about the demon kind of having a very strong odor and Willow was like, Oh, did he, some demons like anoint themselves with oils. Was it like sandalwoody? And he seemed like really, Oh no, opposite of that. So I guess he was implying that the demon smelled like trash, which was why they were looking for him in the dump. So they were looking for the demon in the dump demon in the dump and they see spike who is like foraging th through things at the dump and he's he's got this really pretty like purple glass lamp that he's like he's got like a shopping cart and he's wandering around the dump collecting things i like this like like they made an effort there was a tiny little scene with joy saying she had a headache there's some foreshadowing right there and Dawn being annoying. They had a tiny little scene with that just to kind of show, hey, these two characters are still there. And this is Spike's little, hey, this character's still there, but he's not really a part of this episode. Couldn't they have done that with Tara? Like, why is she not important enough? Because she's just a girlfriend? Like, come on. <laughs> anyway. Um, people that are directly connected to Buffy as a character just get forgotten, which bothers me. I don't know. I guess I just sort of like wish that Buffy was more of an ensemble show. Like I feel like 
not that everybody should get, I mean, the, the show is called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not Giles the Vampire Slayer, not Willow the Vampire, you know, whatever. But I do kind of wish that, that it was a little bit less about Buffy, you know, if it could be like 60, 40 about Buffy instead of what it really is, which is like 80, 20 about Buffy, you know, um, I don't know. That's just me nitpicking because I've seen the show so many goddamn times. <laughs> um, so Spike's in the dump. That was just a cute little moment. Um, I totally believe that Spike would have a shopping cart just pushing around the dump looking for mannequin parts and lamps and shit like that. And that is something that like a lot of shows don't, don't directly reference um, not that this show was trying to do that necessarily because they don't do that with Anya who has an apartment and we have, she's never been shown to be looking for a job or have a job. Later she works at the magic shop, but we have no idea why she would suddenly become human and be independently wealthy even though she has no human connections on this earth because, you know, her family would have been alive a thousand years ago. Like... It makes no goddamn sense that she just has her own apartment. How? How does she have her own apartment? <laughs> but with Spike, it makes sense that, like, now that he is incapable of killing... So you can always assume with vampire characters that they get their money from their victims, right? That when they kill someone, they take their money. So that keeps them financially stable, um, but with Spike, since he can't kill anyone, you actually get a little bit of Spike's backstory. I guess because he's not just a girlfriend like Anya. See, Buffy's not not a feminist show. Um, you see him regularly trying to like do favors for them for money compensation. You see him foraging in a dump. You, you see him setting up shop in a crypt. You know, like, these are things that he wouldn't have to pay for. And so I like this little element of, like, this is how Spike gets the things that he has in his crypt. <laughs> he finds them at the dump. <laughs> okay, what else do I got? Um, This is also a weird, I mean, obviously they had to do this because of the entire plot of this episode. But I don't know if I've ever seen Xander push Buffy out of the way and sacrifice himself because the the demon like points his stick at Buffy and shoots the laser out of it or whatever the fuck. And Xander pushes her out of the way and takes the hit himself, which is not, we don't see that kind of, I mean, we see some, some, heroism from Xander. He definitely tries to protect the people that he cares about. So maybe I'm just, because it's usually about Buffy kicking ass, we just don't see it that often. It just seemed kind of odd to me to see that happening. But so, of course I had to point it out. Um, so also a little moment, they're just really good at like the little, the little moments of foreshadowing happening in the first few episodes of the season. So Spike, we see him at home for a second. This was the other scene with Spike in it. And he's like setting up his mannequin that was in his little shopping cart earlier. And he has like a halter top on the mannequin. And then he puts a blonde wig 
on the mannequin. And then he like looks at it lovingly and then he kicks it across the room and the head falls off and then he like kicks the head up into his hands and then he like kind of strokes the cheek and it's like slayer soon or someday or something like that. So, of course, at this point, we're supposed to think that he's still just so obsessed with killing Buffy, like he has been forever. Like, that's... I think we're supposed to think that that's his motivation for sticking around, maybe. Um, but I, it's in the next episode, you guys. The next episode is when he has, like, the dream about Buffy, and he wakes up and realizes, oh shit, I'm in love with Buffy. So, I'm kind of excited for that plot development, because I like... I like lovesick Spike, you know, I'm a fan of Spike. I think he has a lot of problems. I don't think he should ever be a love interest for Buffy, but I like lovesick Spike. And I think this is actually my favorite Spike season because his love is unrequited throughout this entire season with Buffy. And so you just see him being super sweet to her and trying to do things that she would approve of. And I just find it endearing most of the time so I'm kind of excited to see those moments um you know like that that one moment whenever he's like Joyce is sick and Buffy's overwhelmed and she like goes out to her back steps and like she's crying and um Spike walk I think it's in Fool for Love even maybe I think it is so that's such a good episode oh my god that episode is soon isn't it when is that episode November 14th. Um, so it's coming up in a month. But um, anyway, whenever he comes up and like he's he bring he's brought like a shotgun and he's planning to kill her. But he shows up and sh he sees that she's upset and he just sits by her and like pats her on the shoulder. And they have like a little moment of commiserative silence. And it's one of the most touching scenes in all of Buffy in my opinion probably because that's the kind of comfort that I would personally like to receive just someone sitting quietly during my pain you know <laughs> that's I don't know I just really love that moment so let's not talk about that yet because we're gonna get to talk about it in a month okay so that was just a good little moment of foreshadowing because you see him kind of you know being lovey-dovey but also wanting to kill the mannequin that he dressed up like Buffy. Okay. Um, this episode has like a little bit of just like, it, just a tiny sprinkling of like minorities in charge. So I just wanted to point it out real quick. Xander's boss at the construction site is a black man and the apartment manager, that's what she's called, the apartment manager, um, where Xander's getting his apartment is a woman. I don't like that they showed her like being so I feel like that's just really unprofessional she was just hitting on Xander I, they were just trying to show that like when he's being suave Xander he's likable by the ladies but I didn't like it I didn't like it um I also okay so I already complained about how like how does Anya have money for an apartment I also don't like that we don't ever really see Anya's apartment. We don't ever really see... Oh, sorry. It's never really a set piece. We, I think we only see it like two or three times and it's only for like a second. So in this moment, 
it's probably not even a fully fleshed out set, you know? We never, there's never a scene in her apartment. We never really get to see it. So this is just, Xander calls and like leaves a message for her on her answering machine. And so the shot is just her standing there in satin peach pajamas, like ready for bed, just standing there right by the answering machine. And you don't really get any, it's just dark in the background. You see like a lamp and that's it. So we have no idea what the domain of Anya would be like. We only get to see Anya through Xander's eyes for the most part, which is just, you know, I always complain when characters don't get full characterization and Anya's definitely one of those characters. Um, Xander goes to Willow. He does the Snoopy dance. At this point, he's, you know, seen, you know, this whole thing, like, um, what should I call them? Like the weak Xander versus strong Xander. So there's like suave Xander versus silly Xander. Let's do that. Okay. So silly Xander has been like following suave Xander around all day and he watches him get a promotion at work and get the apartment. And then they, he runs into him in like the hallway of the apartment. And so they both see each other. So they both immediately think, shit, I need to go to Buffy. But suave Xander gets there first. And so silly Xander is outside the window looking in and like, no, don't believe her. Why would he not just go in there? He does it whenever he's like going to the apartment to save Anya, but he's not like brave enough in this moment when everybody's in there to go in there at the same time. That's kind of dumb now that I think about it. But you see him go to Willow instead because Willow doesn't happen to be at Giles' house right now. And you see her like when she, when he gets to her, she's just like coming home from a class or something. So that's a good explanation for why she wasn't at Giles's house. Um, and then he does the Snoopy dance and it's cute. And then they gradually realize that they're both Xander and neither one of them should kill the other one because they're both Xander and they need to just do a spell to break the separation spell that they're under to put them back into one body again. Um, I don't like this little moment. I know it, there's like this whole thing where Willow is very, again, very sexist show Buffy and at its core. It really is. I don't like that. They just continually choose to have Willow be very dismissive and jealous and antagonistic towards Anya. You do not get to see, we have one episode that happens it might be in season six. I'm not sure. Um, where she, her and Anya, they try to develop this sort of antagonistic relationship between the two of them. And they try to kind of resolve it once and for all, but you don't ever really get a relationship between Willow and Anya. Just like you really don't get a relationship between any two women at all, unless it's Willow and Buffy. That's really all you get. So I think that this is just really immature of Willow, you know, like Xander's not antagonistic towards Tara at all. And we wouldn't forgive him for being that way. So why do we let Willow be antagonistic towards Anya? Because girls be fighting, I guess. But I just really didn't like that, that he was like, you know, as he's realizing, oh shit, Anya, I care about Anya. I can't lose Anya. And Willow's like, really? And it's just, why did they choose to do that? I just don't, 
I just don't get it. I mean, I guess it seemed a lot more normal in the year 2000 for women to just hate each other because they were other women. I guess that did seem normal back then. That's probably the explanation for that, but I still hate it. Okay, what else have we got? Um, Anya's upset. She gets there to the apartment to meet Suave Xander, and she's kind of whiny and upset, and Xander gets to the meat of the situation. He's like, oh, it's because of your... Because the whole... I didn't, haven't even mentioned it, but the whole episode, she's wearing a sling because she dislocated or she had her shoulder dislocated by like harmony in the last episode, I think. So, so her arm is in a sling. And I really like this moment of like Xander. This is one of the only moments you ever see where Xander is just being entirely human and understanding towards Anya. I mean, I guess we get other moments like this, but most of the time he's just correcting her behavior and just being shitty towards her. But this is a good moment where he, He's like, oh, I see what this is. I see what this is. Like, she's been kind of overreacting and cranky towards him throughout the episode, and he suddenly gets it in this moment when he is suave Xander. He's like, oh, you're worried about your mortality. You know, you've never been hurt as a human like this before. So because you dislocated your shoulder, um, you're, you're dealing with your mortality in a way that you haven't done yet. And he gives her this little moment of validation and seeing her pain. And when I watched the TPN YouTube Buffy guide um, for this episode, he pointed that out. That, like, Suave Xander can hear what Anya is saying to him without him getting defensive and, like, seeing him without making it about himself. Like, in the past, Anya would, like, you know, get sort of defensive towards Xander about something and that's really about her and Xander would just you know make it about himself um but when he's suave Xander he whenever he's confident in himself he can see through to what she's actually saying to him and what it means for her without making it about himself and that was that was a really good point something that I hadn't thought of myself so credit to TPN um for that um, really sweet moment in the car between Riley and Buffy because Buffy's kind of insecure for a minute when they're going to find Zan the Xanders and she's like I bet I bet you kind of wish that would have happened wouldn't you rather have Buffy Buffy than Slayer Buffy and Riley is just super sweet he's just like I love what he says here he says being the Slayer is part of who you are you keep thinking, I don't get that. And then he goes on to say, like, I love every part of you. I love your weird ice skater movie obsession. I love, you know, I love the Slayer part of you. I love everything. And it's really sweet. And this was the first time, the first time I've ever watched it where I noticed this moment for what I think I was supposed to notice from the beginning, which is that he is telling her that he loves her and she's just kind of looking a little uncomfortable and kind of looks away and then changes the subject. I never really saw it that way. I thought that she was just sort of like not entirely believing the comforting things that he was saying to her. I thought that that's how she was playing this moment, but 
I see it now that like, especially because at the very end of the episode, whenever Riley and Xander have that awesome little conversation and it ends with Riley saying that Buffy doesn't love him. He knows, he knows that she doesn't love him. And TPN also pointed out another instance where this happens. Um, what is it? It's, I don't remember what episode it was, but it was last season. I think it was the episode that Angel came to town and Angel and Riley fought and then Angel left. And then Buffy was talking to, trying to reassure Riley, you know, that she wouldn't cheat on him. She cares about him or whatever. And he says something to her to the effect of like, I think I'm just crazy in love with you. You know, and that's why I acted so nuts. And she doesn't, she doesn't really respond. And that had never occurred again. Like whenever, I, that's just a particular blind spot of mine. Whenever characters say that they love each other and then the other character doesn't answer, it's almost always a plot device of, oh, that person didn't say they love them back. They're, that must be you know, a sign of conflict. It's usually used as a plot device for a sign of conflict of like that person may not actually love the other person. But in real life, I don't think it usually plays out that way. Does it? I mean, do you always say I love you back when someone tells you they love you? Like in my opinion, you don't need to, like sometimes you tell someone you love them, just you need to do it because you want, because you feel it in that moment and you want to say it to them in that moment. They don't have to say it back. Um, in fact, I feel like it's almost less meaningful when someone's saying it back just because you just said it. Like, say it in your own time, in the moments where you feel it the most, you know? I think it's okay to just let someone's declarations of love wash over you and absorb them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the asshole that never says I love you too. I mean, I don't usually because I usually say it in my own moments and I don't say it often because it's a big deal. You know, I say it when it's a, when it's a good moment, when it's a perfect moment. Um, Buffy's whole deal though. I mean, I think this is used as a plot device. I should have noticed from the beginning that she doesn't say it back to him and he's noticed that she doesn't say it back to him. And you see it when you look at this scene, when they're in the car together under the with that knowledge, you see him kind of realizing that she didn't say it back. And he's kind of walking that, logging that in his head. And he doesn't make a big deal out of it because he's not, he's not like that. He just takes note. It's like, well, in his mind, he might know there have been 16 times that I've told this bitch that I love her and she didn't say it back. I'm not saying it like this bitch, like a sexist thing, like Riley would never call her a bitch, but <laughs> I'm just saying this bitch in the general context of this bitch. You know what I mean? So anyway, that's just those, the moments with Riley in this episode are very touching to me. I just, I don't think I've ever liked him more than in this episode. It's weird. I was not expecting that, but it happened. Um, Riley, the psych major is my next note because he was, you know, when they were getting ready to end the spell between the two Xanders. Um, and he's like, don't you just want to lock them up in separate rooms and do experiments on them? 
which is just funny. I love, for some reason, it just amuses me seeing Giles, like, on his hands and knees, drawing a giant pentacle on the floor. <laughs> like, why was he the one that had to draw the pentacle on the floor? You know, like, he's in his at least mid to late 40s. Like, someone else should be doing that. Some young spring chicken, you know what I'm saying? But it's still cute. Like, anytime you see Giles crawling around... <laughs> With his big, droopy, like, earth tone sweaters. It's just cute to me. I don't know. Um, so, da, 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 da. then Giles says he's clearly a bad influence on himself because the two Xanders together have kind of equal, equal, equalized each other out. And they're just kind of laughing at each other's jokes and being ridiculous. And it's kind of cute. Um, Willow just says let the spell be ended and it is so all he had to do was stand in the middle of a pentacle with some candles and let the spell be ended and that's it <laughs> which is nice um oh at some point buffy kills the black light demon um which in any other episode of buffy killing the demon that cast the spell would have ended the spell but that's not how they chose to do it in this episode but it's that i'd point that out um, and then we get the Xander Riley conversation where like, and TPN had this whole cool theory that he laid out about Xander and Riley's relationship and how, and like sort of the foundation of why this conversation is had between these two characters. And he sort of laid out like evidence for why Xander is still actually hung up on Buffy and why Riley chose him to confess that Buffy doesn't love him. He chose him for a reason, and that's part of the reason. And I'm not explaining it well, but he did a really good job. So if you're interested in that, um, just Google TPN for the passionate nerd. TPN's Buffy Guide the Replacement. and um, Or type that into the YouTube search bar and you'll find it. Um, so it was really good. And I, I liked that theory, and I would never really thought about it before. Like... Uh, I, of course, you know that Xander is always, some part of him is in love with Buffy, but I like the way that this show deals with it in that it totally makes sense that Xander would be in love with Buffy and he asked her out and she rejected him and he moped and then he moved on and like, yes, he still has a thing for her. He always will, but he's never going to, to push it because he knows that she has no feelings for him. And really, throughout the show, Buffy has no feelings for anyone except Dawn, herself, sometimes Giles, and Angel. That's really it. Like, even with when she ends up... She ends up caring about Spike, but ultimately, her relationship with Spike is just a way to preserve keeping someone around that worships her. Which, of course, we will dive way more into that as their relationship progresses. But that is my theory about her interest in Spike. Which is why I will always argue, even though my mom... My mom is always... That moment at the very end of the entire series where Spike is doing his champion thing and Buffy tells him that, he, that she loves him and he says, No, you don't. But thanks for saying it. Why I think... That is an absolutely true statement. Buffy never loved Spike. She never loved Riley. But she did love Angel. 
And then it was just like, that's it. That's the only man she could ever love. Anyway, we'll get there. These are all things to talk about in other episodes of Buffy. Um, what else do we have to say here? So that's pretty much all of the discussion. So let's get to the ratings. So as far as object of the episode. So I always like to pick an object that I would pluck directly out of the episode to keep for myself. Um, because I'm very materialistic. Actually, M. It's, it's a problem. I'm very materialistic. (laughs) Anyway, um... I think in this episode, there really wasn't anything that stood out to me as something that I wanted to have. Um, just want to point out that maybe I'll take Buffy's pants. Her outfit in this episode was really horrendous. It was like this sparkly mom halter top. If there's a way that a halter top could be a mom halter top, this one was definitely that. She had some sort of like long pink coat that was just awful. It was awful. And I'm all for like mixing patterns. Whereas her top was like sparkly pink and green horizontal stripe. And she had it paired with brown sort of like flowy, slightly belled pants. They just look like hippie pants. They were like brown pants that had like a white batik bleach sort of like circular pattern throughout them. The pants were cute, but they should have been paired with, like, something else. That halter top was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, I mean, I've probably seen worse, but it it just looked gross and I hated it. Um, But but the pants. I'll take the pants, because they looked super comfy. Um, Brown hippie batik pants. (laughs) Yes, I'll take those. Um, Outfit of the episode, I'm going to give it to Xander the silly Xander because I really liked his shirt. It was like this flowy sort of like, it was kind of a mix between a Hawaiian shirt and like a tapestry pattern. It was just sort of a hippie fabric. It looked like, you know, nice flowy, loose linen kind of thing. And it was just a cool shirt. He had it over like a long sleeved yellow shirt that was kind of fraying at the, at the collar, which, or do you call it a collar when it's just like the, I guess it's still a collar, right? Um, so sort of fraying. And then I don't remember what his pants were. They were just probably like army green cargo type pants or some shit, some nondescript boy pants. And, but I liked the shirt. So I'll give him outfit of the episode. Um, Let's see. What else? MVP of the episode. I mean, this is a Xander-centric episode, so I should probably give it to Xander, but I want to give it to Riley because I've, like I said, I just like Riley in this episode more than I've liked him in any other episode and possibly more than I will ever like him again. So let's give it to him because this might be the only time that happens. Um, Quote of the episode... I mean, there weren't, like, super quotable moments in this episode, but I like the, you know, when Xander says to Giles, so you bought the magic shop and you were attacked before it opened. So, that's the quote of the episode. As far as 5x5 five five ratings, you guys, I'm thinking about just, like, canceling my 5x5 five five ratings. You know? <laughs> Maybe I will call it 5x5 five five ratings the other things that I point out. So, object outfit MVP and 
quote, but that's only four things. So how do you call it a five by five rating? Maybe I'll just say, maybe I need to make a scale. Ooh, maybe I need to like make up a scale and see where it fits, where the episode fits on that scale. Like not necessarily like a one to five, but maybe it could be like, I need to pick some adjectives. Like silly, fun, seminal, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't have that worked out yet. But as far as how much I enjoyed the episode, let's just go let's just go with that instead of trying to do my like how how inclusive is this episode because it's just never gonna be. It's just always gonna be kind of middle of the road like representation of white women decent. <laughs> Throughout the series, it is decent. Does this episode pass the Bechdel test? Yes, it does. Um so maybe that's, that's a rating. Does it pass the Bechdel test? But I mean, it's almost always going to, but I enjoyed this episode. Okay. Let's just leave it at that. And if you guys have like ideas about how I should change my rating system, or if you have, cause I'd love to like, what are like the main traits of a Buffy episode? Like there's the silly ones. There's the, there's the campy and fun ones. There's the campy bad ones. There's the like real good important ones. And then there's what? I don't know. <laughs> if you guys have any ideas on how I should do that, mixtress radio at Gmail and we'll figure out how that shakes out. Cause I don't know if I'm still going to do like, I didn't even write down my ratings for the last episode. So I'm not sure if, and I never like keep track of that. And my scores don't really seem to like be a good representation of the episodes that I actually really like. It just is a math that doesn't make sense. I, it only made sense because I wanted to make it, I wanted five by five to make sense. <laughs> like quit trying to make fetch happen. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Um, so that's, the Buffy episode. Let's talk about the Angel episode that aired the same night. It was called First Impressions. And to be perfectly honest, today I had time to watch it and I started watching it and I was just like, oh, I can't right now. So despite my promises that I would be watching the Angel episodes, I ended up watching the TPN guide for this episode just to refresh my memory of the episode in general. And I took a few notes on that and that's all I did. So I'm not sure what that means for the future of me and watching Angel. Like, I don't think I'm going, I'm still not planning to like not do it, but I don't know how it's going to play out because with Angel, for me, that show really falls apart under scrutiny. It's a show that I, in general, don't really like that much. Um, I think season two and three have their moments. Season one is kind of clunky, but it's okay. Season four is absolutely terrible. And I will not promise that I will even watch that season <laughs> again. But 
season five is a lot of fun. Like, I think my mom will watch season five with me because at that point we'll be done watching Buffy and I will likely transition into being what's this bitch talking about will be every episode of Angel exactly 20 years after, after its original air date on that last year because that last year of Angel was a year after Buffy had ended. So likely that'll be the transitional season where, like, I'm talking about Angel that season slash year, and then we're deciding in that time what I'm going to do next, because it's not like I'm going to stop having a podcast. It's just going to no longer be about Buffy. Um, But that's, you know, two years in the future. (laughs) Three years in the future. Yeah. Two, three, whatever. It's a while from now. So, um, we don't have to worry about that yet. But this episode was called... This Angel episode was called First Impressions, and that is a reference to Pride and Prejudice because that book was originally going to be called First Impressions. Um, And this is, like, the first time that Gunn is being more integrated into the plot. There were a lot of moments in this episode, if I remember correctly, again, I did not just watch it. I have not seen it for years. But I remember this episode being kind of racist and tone deaf like they're not trying to be racist and tone deaf but it's happening um I don't know how racist and tone deaf again because I didn't just watch it but that's how I remember it um there's a lot of like so Cordelia and Gunn hang out a lot just one-on-one in this episode and he makes a lot of really sexist comments towards her and he has a lot of toxic masculinity surrounding him and she if i remember correctly makes a lot of kind of kind of racist shit to him there's a little bit of white savior happening here because she the reason why they're hanging out throughout most of the episode cordelia has like a a vision about gun being in danger and she reveals at some point during the episode that the danger that he's in is danger from himself because he not only tends to get in a lot of drama trouble like trauma but he also seeks it like she's essentially telling him that he seeks danger and he is a danger to himself because he's constantly seeking danger so there's interesting elements of this episode of him like sort of like facing up to some of his toxic masculinity but there's some stuff in this episode that was pointed out by TPN that makes sense to me in that obviously Gunn's character of a black man as an actual main character on a Joss Whedon show he's there because Joss had been so heavily criticized even back then he was heavily criticized for not having people of color as characters in his shows so I think Gunn's character just his existence period is to address that he was trying to look more inclusive and less racist however the way that they especially in the first handful of episodes that gun is in it's like they don't know it's like they don't know how to write a character of color so they they really lean into like making him very other he seems very other like his world is very separate 
from their world. And they sort of treat his world as if it's an exotic, untouchable place. And what ends up happening is Gunn just ends up completely abandoning his entire, like, friend, family, group structure that... Because he's kind of, when he's introduced, it's sort of like he's the leader of the sort of underground, like, downtown L.A., underground, poor, homeless kids that are just, you know, scraping along to survive. But you see him as the leader of that area. But then he starts working more and more with Angel. I think he ends up living at the hotel with everybody and he just ends up completely integrating into their world instead of it being a melding of two worlds. You know, he essentially is criticized when he runs into his old friends. He's criticized for abandoning his old friends. And I think that's totally valid, but it's just because the a bunch of white writers didn't know how to write. They were like, okay, we'll write this black character, but he's just going to fit in with these white characters. He just learns to subsume any part of his identity that didn't fit neatly in with all the other white characters. And I feel like I'm not really the person to talk about this because I'm a white person that doesn't necessarily see all of that, but I see enough to see that. And it feels really wrong to me that they, I don't know, but at least they're trying, you know, it's like, how do you analyze that stuff? You know, like as a woman, I don't want men to avoid writing female characters just because they don't necessarily know how to do it correctly but there's better ways to do it like if Joss Whedon really wanted to write for characters of color and that's why he introduced Gunn great wonderful but he should have run his character development and plot points for that character by people of color he should have had people of color in the writer's room and behind the camera to help tell the story of Gunn. Like, it, in my mind, the way that I'm imagining it is that, what is his name? August Richards or something? I feel like I always second guess his name. J. August Rich Richards. Okay. That's what throws me is because the, it's just the letter J. J. August Richards. Okay. So I, you know, the way that I'm imagining it and I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I'm just imagining that he's like one person of color on a huge set of Angel and like maybe there's a couple of people of color like that are like grips or cameramen or something but like he's just here he's having this character written for him and maybe it doesn't he doesn't feel like it accurately represents him as a black man but maybe he feels like I can't speak up because I might lose my job so let's just go with it you know I just I feel for him I feel for him in this environment because and he knows that he's like the token black man that like he knows that he's there because Joss has been criticized for not having characters of color on his shows. You know? I don't know. Anyway, that's not what this episode is about. <laughs> this episode is a little bit about toxic masculinity. I think they meant for that to a certain degree. But, um... And, you know, the whole thing with Cordelia pointing out to Gunn that he's, you know, he's a danger to himself. She's kind of... She's there to point out that he's 
got a lot of toxic masculinity going on. And if done better, if executed better, that could be a really interesting storyline. It's not totally done mishandled, but it's not great from what I remember. But also the other plot point in this episode of Angel is that Angel is having these really sexy dreams about Darla. And you find out at the end of the episode that she's actually in the room with him. So he's been like, Angel's, excuse me, been like sleeping all the time. And you find out it's because he's having all these sexy dreams about Darla. And it's because she's actually in the room and she's somehow infiltrating his dreams. And so that's a thing. <laughs> I remember this being a very annoying plot point. Like, why did they choose to have this as the reintroduction to Darla's character? Like, we know that she's back because Wolfram and Hart brought her back from the dead somehow. But they... I don't know. I guess they're trying to get him to lose his soul by having sex with Darla. And they're thinking that she he she can seduce him through his dreams or something. It feels very rapey to me, though. Very rapey. Like, there's this one moment where in the dream... It's like implied that she's like going down on him. And that's when, that's at the end of the episode, I think, when they reveal that she's in the room with him. So was she actually doing things to him while he was asleep? That's extremely rapey. Okay? I don't like it at all. But that's really all I have to say about the Angel episode since I didn't actually watch it yet again, which means I'm three episodes behind on Angel. I'm wondering if like, I might just like binge watch Angel, just watch like a disc at a time, you know, like four episodes and then make little notes on it and then report to you guys afterwards. Like I'm not going to actually be watching the episodes on the actual night. <sighs> Maybe I'll only watch the Angel episodes on the same night as the Buffy episodes as they originally aired if there's a crossover of some kind because that's when it makes sense to watch them on the same day. Um, to see that those sort of nuances of little crossover moments. And I don't know if they're ever really from now on, there's not going to be a lot of those um, because they were on the same network in the last season. And now the two shows are on separate networks. So I don't think that they actually can do crossover episodes. I mean, you might get little moments of like plot points that refer to what's happening on the other show, but not actual crossover of characters. Um, I don't know. You guys likely don't give a shit <laughs> whether or not I talk about Angel, when I watch it, if I do decide to talk about it. Um, but I want to continue watching it, but I'm just like, it's really difficult to actually do it all at once. To watch Angel and take notes, watch Buffy and take notes, watch the TPN guides on YouTube, which I really like doing because it helps me synthesize some of the notes that I made and compare and contrast like things that he notices that I don't. And it's, yeah, that whole process. Like I've been sitting in my tiny nook for, I think about three hours now. And that's with me not watching the angel episode. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Anyway. I just feel guilty that I'm talking about an Angel episode with you guys that I have not actually watched. I mean, I've seen it before, but, and I did a little bit of research on it, but that's it. I didn't actually watch it just now. So I can't actually have a good conversation about it. And again, I know you guys probably don't give a shit either way. 
Because if you did, you'd probably let me know, and no one has. So, whatever. I'll just shut up now. So, overall, pretty decent episode of Buffy. Um, just a good filler episode. Awesome. So, maybe part of my Buffy ratings could be, like, top 25, top 10, top 5, or bottom whatever. Maybe we should give a top or bottom rating for Buffy. <laughs> Or, hmm, <laughs> I don't know. I'll work that out at some point. Whatever. I hope you guys are doing well. Um, and I will see you next week where we will talk about the Buffy episode Out of My Mind. Um, I think that's, I think that's a, I think that's when we start to get more about the Joyce storyline. Let me see. Yeah, but it's also Riley. Riley has his, like, heart problem, and Spike's trying to get the chip out of his head. Okay. And then there's also, I think, like, Joyce has gone to the hospital or something, but yeah. So it's basically just like, yeah, it's a bunch of that. A bunch of, like, hospital shit happening in this episode in the next episode so we're going to talk about that one next week and i will see you then bye